Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. A smart system that just shoots your coffee over, no frown, no smile. You can say hi to the person lying next to you, go about your business. It, I think in the long run, um, and we may be talking about five to 10 years down the road, but I think this, these sea changes to the economy that we're seeing may actually end up being good in the aggregate for the satisfaction of consumers. I'm half expecting uh, to, to wake up tomorrow with chat GPT telling me what to do, you know? Uh, <laughs> I like the idea that you're neutral on the future of humanity. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's good that we get annihilated. Maybe it's bad. I'm not taking a stand. I was expecting him to say, oh, just pay, do you want to pay by credit card or whatever else? And I stood there and he, and he looked at me and he, and my wife turned around to him and said, he wants you to pay Colin. And I went, okay, well, I didn't know that. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the, in the world. A number of you will know that I've always followed the American Customer Satisfaction Institute results ever since I started Beyond Philosophy back in 2002. And I'm glad to say that we have a guest with us uh, today, from uh, said organization, the American Customer Satisfaction Institute, to get us um, a view as to where uh, he thinks we all are uh, with customer experience. So, Forrest, welcome onto the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, and I'm uh, looking forward to our discussion. And Ryan, if you could try to ask some intelligent questions along the line, that would be also good. I don't appreciate you, like, expecting me to know all of a sudden. <laughs> you, you know what you're what is, it's been five years, mate, and I thought it would be good if you if oh, we, you, we finally got like, there. Through sheer random chance, like this might be the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, a million monkeys on a million typewriters. I've had a plan to build up to this point. You just you haven't seen the plan. No. So the plan is you've now got two academics on the call with you. You're you're thoroughly <laughs> outnumbered, Colin. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I feel that way. Yeah, that's why I'm just, I'm glad I'm in, I'm in Florida and you're in Atlanta. And Forrest Morgson is a professor of marketing at Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State University. Previously, he was a director of research at the Customer Satisfaction Institute uh, at Michigan. And he's been, um, his research focus has been on customer satisfaction, customer experience measurement, and uh, management. So, right up our street. So uh, welcome, Forrest. Thank you. You make me sound much more than I really am. Not at all, mate. Not at all. Everything sounds better with a British accent. So I found <laughs> <That's part of it. laughs> yeah, I've been working on this accent for a number of years now. Yeah, Colin's from New Jersey. You do well. Know. <laughs> we, when we had David on the show, nine months ago one of the things that had fascinated me was that when you look at the american customer satisfaction institute results and you guys have been going now since 1998 if my memory serves me correctly 1994 actually 1994 bloody this pilot study was done almost 30 years ago so in wow. august of 23 we'll technically be able to say 30 years wow 
That's a long time. And I, and I know that if you haven't, by the way, dear listener, if you haven't uh, looked at it, you need to. And we'll obviously put a link in the, uh, in the show notes for you to, to have a look at it. But the really fascinating thing for me has been seeing how the satisfaction index has been at an all-time low for the last 17 years. And you tie that against all the activity that people like me and other people have put into customer experience and voice of the customer. And you, you just take a step back and you go, bloody hell, was it worth it? <laughs> that for me is like the killer backdrop. Uh, so it would be good to just get your view as to where we are and how we got here, basically. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting journey that we've been on. And so I've been at, at the ACSI or working with the ACSI in one capacity or another for since 2001. So I've, I've, you know, seen a lot of the, the movement and the dynamics that, that you're talking about and describing there. And really over the last 15 or 16 years, we are near our lowest point. You know, we've seen a couple of quarters now where we've had some slight positive movement, um, yep. But that's been almost unheard of over the last five years where we've just aggregate national customer satisfaction has really tanked and stayed low. It started before COVID. COVID exacerbated it, but it started yeah. demonstrably before COVID. We saw the movement, the downward movement start before COVID. You ask the big question, the why or the how can this possibly be the case? Because we have companies yeah. that are spending more and investing more in what we now call customer experience measurement and management, which we call satisfaction measurement before customer service measurement or all these different names that are describing roughly the same thing. But companies are spending more on it than they ever have before. They have access to more technology and tools than they ever had before. DIY tools and market research are, you know, the Qualtrics of the world, the Medallia, those kind of things have allowed people access to doing this kind of measurement relatively easily, certainly far easier than it was when I started in 2001, where if you really wanted to do this, you'd have to cook up your own survey, you'd have to go out and do, you know, telephone interviewing and all, you know, it was expensive, it was complex, time consuming, certainly much easier now. And yet we're not seeing big improvements. And in fact, we're seeing declines in customer satisfaction. I think there's probably two general answers to that. The one is, is that you can measure something all day long. You can go out and invest resources into trying to identify the perceptions of your customers, their attitudes, how they like yeah. or dislike your services. But at the end of the day, you have to actually do something about it when you find negative information. You can't just say, okay, here's some negative information. Good to know. Let's advance as we've been doing all along, right? Yeah. To actually fix things takes time, investment, and commitment. And a lot of companies still, even to this day, don't give that kind of credibility to you know, their market research folks and, and what the marketing sure. are telling them. So this is the story of going to your doctor every year and getting your cholesterol numbers and saying, yeah, no, that's bad. Yeah, All exactly. Right, well, right. I'm going to keep eating the way that I've always been eating. Well, my weight's up. You know, it was up last year, too, and the year before that. I'm not going to change it, but it's good to know that, you know, I have a problem with my weight. Um, <laughs> but unless you do something about it, that information is is useless. The other thing that I think is important to, to keep in mind, and this is not to sort of let the corporate world off the hook, but, you know, there's this is always a dynamic moving target, customer perceptions and and how they 
you know, their attitudes about the experiences that they're having with companies are always a moving target. In other sure. words, we compare satisfaction today to what it was in 1994 or 2000 or 2005. Of course, the economy today is just radically different. That may not have been the case if you compare 1980 to 1950, but you compare yeah. just about anything sure. you know, prior to five years ago these days, you're looking at almost a fundamentally entirely different economic system. And so, you know, keeping up with that moving target is, is tough for these companies. But correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and again, I've just been fascinated by this, this whole subject. And I, and, and I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. My personal view is people are focused on the wrong things. They're not focused on the things that are driving value or driving customer satisfaction up they're fixing things but they're not necessarily just because a customer tells you that they want you to fix it doesn't necessarily mean to say that's the thing that would move the dial the furthest way or even be able to for organizations to want to address it particularly even if you know if you're not putting together a business case that says here's the amount of revenue that we can get in uh, as a result of these because the danger is, here's the danger for us, right? I'm going to ask you on the show, and then I'm just going to talk all time. So I'm, and you can see how Ryan is laughing because he's he's been on these shows before, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Colin's polite. He, he's just excitable. Um, I am. I'm very. One of the topics that uh, he cares a lot about. It is. So let me ask you the the the, the question, and then I'm going to shut up. One of the things that, again, you put on the overview was that customer expectations haven't re- aren't the reason, let me put it that way, aren't the reason. So we know that customers' expectations have increased, but they're not the reason for the, for the results. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that's sort of a, a fallback excuse used a lot in corporate culture for why they aren't performing as well in terms of their customer experience as reported by those customers. Well, expectations are constantly skyrocketing out of control and spiraling upwards, and we can't really do anything about that, right? Or it's not fair to anticipate that we're going to be able to realize these much higher expectations. What we see in our data, and this goes back over almost 30 years now, as I mentioned before, is that customer expectations are not at a particularly high level. They are very much related to customer satisfaction. Customers over time tend to be, at least over short periods of time, tend to be rational in the sense that they expect what they've recently received, right? They're they're not constantly adjusting their expectations upward. And th- this gets back to, you know, the whole, the language that we use sometimes, the Amazon effect. They've changed the game in so many ways that now they're not just a referent for other online retailers, for instance, they're a referent across the economy, right? And so we all expect to have overnight delivery at, you know, bargain prices across all of our industries. And there's certainly some truth to that, right? Just like with anything else, expectations are, you know, to some extent, a moving target. That being said, we just haven't seen this sort of dramatic surge in expectations that a lot of people talk about. They still tend to be relatively well tied to experienced satisfaction from prior years. Um, And so as satisfaction has gone down, we've actually seen expectations drop as well in our data. I think there's simply more to the story than simply just trying to blame it all on skyrocketing expectations or something like that. Yeah. 
I agree. And are there any industries that are standing out, you know, one way or the other, either doing particularly well or particularly badly, or is it all? You know, again, as we've seen this decline in satisfaction, one of the things that we did is, of course, parse the data and see if we can identify where it's coming from. Uh, And by and large, it's been systemic. I mean, it's been across the board. Very few industries have even managed to stay flat as we've seen this decline. You know, again, after COVID, it was relatively easy to blame on economy-wide inflation and prices going up all over the place. While we see quality as a generally larger influence on satisfaction, price matters, of course, you know, and so if prices are going up, particularly in some industries, you can say, okay, that's going to depress satisfaction. And that's true. But it's been across the board, there hasn't really been an industry that's responsible for it. You see it in the the pure service type of industries. And you see it in the manufacturing industries that are, we're measuring that are largely just providing goods to consumers without a lot of service interaction. It's all of them. Again, that goes back to before COVID and certainly accelerated during COVID. Very few industries have done well over that period. This may be outside of the scope of what the association does, but I mean, I wonder if there's almost uh, like a, a halo effect here where maybe just like people in general are kind of upset about everything over the last 10 years. And like you, you give me an opportunity to give my opinion about anything and it's going to be down. So I don't. I don't know if that's like if you've looked at other kind of general satisfaction surveys. We've certainly thought about that, right? Is there just a you know is this all tied to all sorts of other indicators in the world? And of course, on some level or to some degree, sure, right? I mean, if you <laughs> if if you are in a miserable place in your life, or just think of it, you know, wages have been stagnant for so long now that we you know. It's not even worth mentioning anymore from a macroeconomic perspective. But, you know, if consumers all across the board just are, are getting have less disposable income to buy goods and it becomes just a struggle to to buy all the goods that you need, that that non-discretionary stuff you need to survive. And then what's left over for the things that we really want to buy is so little, we may just be upset about everything. Sure. And there we've found relationships to the macro indicator, the national ACSI score we put together and things like the unemployment rate. And so yeah, there, there's some of that. Now of course the way we craft our surveys and and interview customers, we're trying to weed out as much of that noise, that error in the data as possible. Uh, but some of it's certainly going to slip in. There's no way around it, you know. And and you see that simply prices went up on everything, virtually everything during COVID. Almost nothing went down, and we saw across the board our, our one of our variables that we measure is perceived value, price given quality or the relationship between those two, and it went down in virtually every industry just as we would expect it to because prices were going up. So, you know, we're trying to pick up what's what's really going on, but I, I don't think there's any way around or in survey research, no way that I'm aware of that you can totally eliminate that kind of, you know, we just want you to talk about this company and your experiences with this company. Well, that's going to be to some degree, again, shaded by everything else that's going on in the economy and their lives as well. Let me tell you a, a story first, and, and then let me sort of draw an analogy for you. Uh, to get your view on it. I used to work back in the day in corporate life, okay? 
And I always remember being at a senior management meeting and I was one of the, my jobs was to undertake customer satisfaction surveys. This was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And then present those surveys and, and talk about action plans and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I always remember a, a meeting that we had. It's a bit like your um, cholesterol analogy uh, for the third meeting uh, over three years i was presenting data that was basically going look you know we're not doing anything and customers are just unhappy you know and berating my colleagues for the lack of action okay and i always remember then one of my colleagues saying you know maybe if we're not doing anything with this data maybe what we should do is not spend the money and spend the money on something else because actually we're just wasting it, you know, if we're not actually going to do anything. So I guess I'm sort of sitting here going, they, Forrester, have said this year that something like one in five custom experience jobs is going to disappear. And I think it's probably more than that. I haven't got a clue how much money we spend on voice, organizations spend on voice of the customer systems. So if I was to adopt my ex-colleague's uh, view, I could go, why bother? What's the point? We've been doing it for 20 years. We've not got anywhere. So why don't we just, you know, not buy voice of the customer systems anymore or not even look to look at, you know, improving our customer experience because it's not working. So why bother? And I guess that's, to a certain extent, what some CEOs must be thinking as we go into a recession. Certainly, we're in a recession in the UK, and I know that the states are sort of one minute it is and the next minute it isn't. But when you start to look at, well, which groups, where is our investment playing out? It's not in customer experience. I'm exaggerating to make a point. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly some truth to that. I mean, obviously... I don't know a lot of at least large corporations that would go that far in terms of their fatalism with <laughs> their sure. own ability to implement this stuff. You know, as, as a professor, I get a great opportunity. I teach a lot of our MBA students. So I work with a lot of, you know, middle to middle senior level manager types at big companies in Southeast Michigan. They're coming into contact with more of this kind of information than ever before. And I, you know, hear that directly from them. They may be, you know, in operations, engineering, um, on the, on the B2B side, you know, sourcing and supplying for, you know, a lot of the auto industry here in Michigan, we still have, um, and a lot of the students come from there. They're coming into contact with this information more. I still, I think the problem is, is that, as you say, it's the, are we really doing anything about it or are we doing as much as we need to be doing about it? I don't sure. think you're going to see a lot of companies just entirely move away from, you know, measuring and, and trying to manage this. I think what they're doing and what we're going to see increasingly, getting back to something that we talked about uh, offline to, to start our conversation today, but, you know, using technology to more seamlessly measure these kinds of experiences and implement changes based on the findings of those. In other words, 
disintermediate the human decision makers in this process. And um, those pesky human beings. Eh? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the more you, you put a human in the middle of the, the process, you have a much higher probability of error. By the way, it's a bit like it's actually it's like um, Skynet for customer experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and at some point, maybe sooner than you know, you, you you read these robot apocalypse people, and it wasn't supposed to happen until twenty forty or something. But Chat GPT has me convinced it may be happening sooner. But at some point, the, <laughs> the AI systems may step in and say, "No, we're actually going to make this change and move the cup holder two inches further forward in the car, so people aren't spilling it upon themselves." Um, <laughs> and humans, you don't get a vote, right? We're just going to yeah. do this and we, you know, yeah. come out That's with the new later, the new model yeah. in the future because it would be idiotic not to do so. You're now giving me some hope, mate. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, until the AI says that people shouldn't be driving at all because most of them don't pay attention to the road or something, then then sure. we might have eh, you know we might have some complaints at that point about its level of control. But yeah, I mean the idea is is you know you're right. We need to do more with the data. I think you know my optimistic side says is that as we've gotten further along in collecting this data. We've elevated people, you know, your CMO position, your chief marketing officer, your directors of customer experience, your VPs. These people have more of a voice in the room than they've ever had before. And the idea or the hope would be is that their voices don't draw as much skepticism as it may have. Ah, this is just a guy that, you know, analyzes numbers. He doesn't really know the customers, right? He doesn't know the business the way I do as successful CEOs. We're not going to listen to them. I think those people, though, are getting more attention, more credibility in the decision-making process, and hopefully it will eventually show up in terms of, you know, making not quite real-time changes, but closer to real-time changes to, you know, both products and services that provide more satisfying experiences to consumers. So, Colin, I've got a pickle. Have you recorded it? Because I only deal with pickles that are recorded. Well, that's the issue I want to address. My pickle is I'm tired of talking. I want to let our <laughs> listeners talk for a change. Great, because we've absolutely got the facility for them to do that now. All they need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. Hit the big red button and then they'll appear on the show. That's perfect. I'm going to go take a nap. Can I ask, we've talked about how the the long-term trend just across industries has been down, especially the last few years. What does your data tell you about within industries? So if you got, you know, within a given industry, there's like a spread of customer satisfaction and that goes down, but the relative relationship between those companies within that industry stays the same, then that suggests that it, you know, it is still worthwhile to invest in this because even if people are less satisfied in general, if you're still like the least bad within your industry, or has that collapsed over time where people are seeing less distinction between these companies? Yeah, I'd need to look at the data with that particularly in mind to answer that question accurately. But I can say that we've seen convergence within most industries. And in other words, we see a smaller spread between top and bottom than we used to, which, you know, if you think about it from the strategic management and marketing perspective, that's what you 
would expect to see that everyone will start getting more similar in how they're offering products and services to the extent that they can, right? So whenever someone comes in with a competitive advantage of some kind and innovation, everyone as quickly as possible adopts that so that they can keep up with that company. Something that you mentioned that's right on the money is the notion of it doesn't matter how high your level is per se, it matters your level relative to your direct competitors. And increasingly, you know, depending on the industry, your secondary competitors in related industries as well. You know, we, there's a reason why newspapers are dying, right? It's just <laughs> another industry came along and totally changed the way that we consume news, right? We often will say this, you know, from a strategic customer satisfaction perspective. You don't want to have perfect satisfaction. You just want to be significantly better than your nearest competitor. You want to do enough to be better than them. And, you know, in some cases, whole industries may be declining. But if you maintain a gap between you and number two, you still have a competitive advantage. Uh, You may be opening yourself up to innovation that makes your entire industry obsolete. And that has certainly happened over the last 30 years in, in working with the index. But that's ultimately your goal as a business person is to be better than number two by a significant but not outrageous margin. Otherwise, you're wasting resources and oversatisfying your customers relative to what you actually need to do. Yeah, and for me, it's to be clear, I wouldn't suggest that any organization stops their voice to the customer program or anything like that, or their focus on customer experience. I think that what, for me, part of the solution is that they need to focus on the things that drive value. So you've got to show a business return. My concern is that not enough attention is paid to the areas that drive the most value. I'm not saying people aren't busy they're very busy uh, but they're busy in the areas that are not necessarily going to provide the return that they that they need I, I think the second thing for me is that there's a bloody big opportunity in lots of different industries to put some gap between to be the top of your industry and actually put to put some space between you and you and others and gain customers that way it's just a constant amazement to me how organizations are obsessed by customer acquisition and not equally obsessed by customer retention and or you know it's the classic bucket they you know spend millions put pouring advertising and that into the top but don't spend as much fixing the holes in the bucket Forrest where, where do you see this going yourself I mean if you were to put on a futuristic hat of what's going to happen over the next couple of years where would you where would you see it going do you think it's going to go up again or is it going to stay static or what my guess would say it's going to start to go back up if i had to guess and that's only based on the cyclical nature of these things we've seen this in the data over time where we've got peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs you know the exact explanation of those peaks and troughs has tended to vary, but we've seen them nevertheless, right? We've seen, you know, recessions come along or near recessions and that, you know, has tanked satisfaction. You know, we've seen it go back up, you know, as that economic condition waned. And then we saw a really tight labor market where we actually would see satisfaction go down because, you know, much harder for companies to get 
high quality employees to, you know, service customers, and that actually depresses satisfaction. So we've seen interesting relationships over time. My guess, based on that sort of cyclical nature, is that it will maybe even starting now start to to rebound a little bit. Longer term, you know, moving out a couple of years ahead, I think we all know where the economy in general is going in terms of technology. We're going to be going to fast food restaurants that have virtually no staff in them anymore and then providing self-service there. When we order our fast food meals, we're going to be all, we already are checking ourselves out of grocery stores. You're going to have fewer and fewer employees in those places. It's really going to, to change the dynamics of the economy. That's got some really scary consequences in terms of what are all these unemployed humans going to do. So I don't want to make light of it too much, but there is sort of a funny side to it. We've seen for years in our data that any industry that has significant human intervention in the consumption of goods and services tends to score lower. People can't be engineered in the same way we can engineer the production process and, you know, get our, our error rate down to six sigma, you know, outside of the outside of the mean, you know, and we're going to have virtually perfect production processes. We've got that now, right? Our cars last longer than ever before. We have these wonderful, durable products. You put a person there in the mix, that tends to depress satisfaction. Assuming that companies are able to continue along the path that they're already taken and get smarter and better virtual assistants, smarter and better IT that they are able to deploy across the customer journey, I think it's probably going to help satisfaction in the long run. I think there's going to be growing pains and there's going to be demographic differences where some of our older consumers don't like, you know, they already don't like these. What do you mean you're getting rid of my bank branch and now I can only do it online with a virtual assistant? There's going to be some late adopters in there who are holdouts and don't really want to partake in these new technologies. But the bottom line is ultimately, I think it's probably going to be good for customer satisfaction because nothing worse than an unhappy, poorly trained, underpaid person offering a customer service with a frown on their face. You can replace that with a smart system that just shoots your coffee over, no frown, no smile. <laughs> you can say hi to the person line next to you, go about your business. It, it, I think in the long run, um, and we may be talking about five to 10 years down the road, but I think this these sea changes to the economy that we're seeing may actually end up being good in the aggregate for the satisfaction of consumers. I was in uh, Publix a couple of days ago. Obviously, in Publix are normally quite good for the uh, customer experience. The guy at the checkout, I know it's the same with me, but I'm sure it's the same with you guys. You can't have a customer experience without pulling it apart and thinking about what's happening. Anyway, this guy at the checkout, he managed to do the whole of the transaction literally without saying one word, okay? We ended up packing our bags, and I then was standing in front of the – to pay for my goods. I was expecting him to say, oh, just – do you want to pay by credit card or whatever else? And I stood there and he and he looked at me and he and my wife turned around to him and said, He wants you to pay, Colin. And I went, Okay, well, I didn't know that. I paid. I said, Do you realize you've managed to do the whole of that transaction without saying a word? And he said, Yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? Really? <laughs> and you think to yourself, why bother? You know, yeah. why have somebody there? 
you know? That's right. So, this, anyway. this is a segmentation story because that sounds like an ideal transaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I would have loved that. That would have been perfect for me. Yeah, I, I would have loved that. I actually just saw this the other day, I think, on LinkedIn or something that someone had posted about a grocery store chain in Denmark that's designed for older consumers who are late in life, living alone, don't have a lot of social interaction, where the checkout person is trained and instructed to take as long as you want to take to check you out, talk about anything that you want to talk about. (laughs) And so the person will sit there and it'll be a 20 minute checkout process. And they'll talk about your family, your kids, what you bought, what you're making for dinner, doesn't matter. So there's something for everybody out there. (laughs) That to me, like my worst nightmare, right? Yeah. Like I oh, just yeah. check me out. Like, come on, I gotta go. I'm in. I'm in a hurry, right? But you know, again, for that older consumer that doesn't have a lot of people to talk to, that may make paying ten percent more worth it, right? That may be the high point of their day or their week. So we're gonna see some niche industries like that. Maybe what they should. Maybe what they should be doing is setting up a profile, okay? And it's sort of they've got the blue lanes where you want to have a chat with somebody, and the and the red lanes where you you just want to get out as fast as possible. Yeah, maybe it becomes like that Monty Python's, you know, where they have the green lanes are where you get abused or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as you walk out. That. Yeah, for you don't know, Colin is that that guy at the checkout? He was already a robot. Like they've already installed you and made a test <laughs> for them. <laughs> no, but I think that raises the question, right? I mean, you know, that that what you're describing is probably even worse than a mildly rude but at least interactive customer service representative, right? Even if the yeah. person's rude and short with you, at least they're yeah. talking just not saying anything. You know, I'm not sure. here to entertain you. Get out of my get out of my area. Well, right? The only thing he was there for thinking about it is to scan the bloody thing, you yeah. know? And and you go, Well, I can I can do that. That's right. Yeah. So any, any, any last thoughts from you, Ryan? I would, um, I'm always hesitant when, when people try to draw too large of conclusions based on some narrow set of data, or even in this case on a trend, um, like I understand the impulse to say like, well, we've been you know, investing all this money in customer experience and the satisfaction scores keep going down. Therefore that was wasted time and money and we should do something else instead. I do want to emphasize from a customer experience standpoint, from a customer decision standpoint, usually we're making a decision within a, a set of companies that can meet some need that we have. I mean, you know, we, we joke all the time about how terrible cable companies are. Still got to pick one. You know, these trends are very important. And I, I think that Forrest did a great job kind of pointing to all of the things that go into this very simple measure of satisfaction. And some of these things you can control as a company and and a lot of them you can't, but the things that you can control, I suspect matter from this competitive perspective. And so I, I wouldn't like throw customer experience out based on these stats. I, I would instead try to learn from them and anticipate around them. And, and you know, first point about uh, these things, cyclicals, another very good one. So continue to watch and learn and uh, don't make sudden movements. Like try, <laughs> try to improve things. I, and- I like, Forrest, I, I thought your observation of the Skynet for AI and automatically improving customer experience and stuff like that. I mean, 
I mean, let, let's, let's pause for a minute. Skynet was the system in the Terminator movies that annihilated all of humanity. So I, don't, I don't know that that was the point that Forrest was making. Like, I don't know that we're, we're Skynet on this podcast. I'm not, I'm not picking, a, I'm not saying one way or the other what I think is going to happen. It may, you know, I, I'm half expecting uh, to, to wake up tomorrow with chat GPT telling me what to do, you know? Uh, <laughs> I like the idea that you're neutral on the future of humanity. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you know, maybe it's good that we get annihilated. Maybe it's bad. I'm not taking this out. Yeah. Either way. Any, anyway, works for me. <laughs> Forrest, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been really good. If people want to get hold of you, then then how do they do that? Oh, they can go to the ACSI website. I'm all over the internet with my, you know, for my professor position. So, uh, but the right. ACSI.org has all of the data that we release, lots and lots of academic research, more practical type research, case studies, those sorts of things. And, and um, there's a wealth of information there. So the ACSI.org is, is the place to go for all that. Okay, and we'll obviously put a link to all of that lot in the in the show notes. Have you noticed how I I, I pressed I my finger goes down when I say that? I don't know if it's I should be doing it to one side, but it's always down. Isn't this it? is the high quality experience you get if you watch us on YouTube instead of just yeah. listening to us. We've only just gone onto YouTube, so yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for being on the show today. Cheers. Take care. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.